0: In your Bibles to Leviticus chapter sixteen. We'll be reading the whole chapter this morning. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come at just any time into the holy place, inside the veil, before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, lest he die. For I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Thus Aaron shall come into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering, and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash, and with a linen turban he shall be attired. These are holy garments. Therefore he shall wash his body in water and put them on, and he shall take from the congregation of the children of Israel. Two kids of the goats as a sin offering, and one ram as a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Then Aaron shall cast two lots for the goats one lot for the Lord, and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat on which the Lord's lot fell. And offer it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord, to make atonement upon it, and to let it go as a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bull of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself. Then he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from the altar from the altar before the lord with his hands full of sweet incense beaten fine and bring it inside the veil and he shall put the incense on the fire before the lord that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on the testimony lest he die and he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat on the east side and before the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So we shall make atonement for the holy place, because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions, for all their sins. And so we shall do for the tabernacle of meeting, which remains among them in the midst of their uncleanness. There shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes in to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out, that he may make atonement for himself, for his household, and for all the assembly of Israel. And he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. Then he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his fingers seven times, cleanse it, and consecrate it from the uncleanness
1: of the children of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place, the tabernacle of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat, confess over it all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions concerning all their sins, putting them on the head of the goat, and shall send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a suitable man. The goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities to an inhabited, uninhabited land. And he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of meeting. shall take off the linen garments which he put on when he, when he went into the holy place. And shall leave them there. And he shall wash his body in the, with water in the holy place. Put on his garments... Come out and offer the burnt offering and the burnt offering of of the people, and make atonement for himself and for the people. The fat of the sin offering he shall burn on the altar, and he who released the goat as the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement for the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, and they shall burn. In the fire, their skins, their flesh, and their offal. Then he who burns them shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and afterward he may come into the camp.
0: This shall be, this shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own counsel country or a stranger who dwells among you, for on that day. The priest shall make atonement for you, to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statue forever.
2: And the priest, who is anointed and consecrated to minister as priest in his father's place, shall make atonement, and put on linen clothes, the holy garments, Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tabernacle of meeting, and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. This shall be an everlasting statute for you, to make atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins, once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, and keep them open to the book of Leviticus. We'll be looking at some various uh, stops along the way in our road trip today through Leviticus. Uh, Before we do that, I'm going to ask if you would to join me and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. And then we'll jump in. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You are worthy to be praised. You are Lord of creation. king of our lives. The song says you're Lord of the land and the sea. You were ruler and king long before there was time. And king of all kings you will be. This morning, Lord, we... Come to you and pray our hearts are bowed in reverence to you as we approach you in your word. Grant us understanding this morning from this book of Leviticus. Show us why it's here, what purpose it serves in the whole of scripture. Teach us to look intently at what it says and not to gloss over it. Our tendency is to bypass this book and perhaps the two that follow and just go right forward to Joshua... Lord, reading this book once again this week has awakened me. This third book of the scriptures is rich in content, deep with meaning, both for the Israelite in that day and for the believer in this day. Open our eyes, Lord, to see the valued placement of this book in the biblical text. It's profitable for our souls. I pray that you would wash that truth over us as we read it. We thank you, Lord, that you are good. And we thank you for your good word, your necessary word. Sanctify us, purify us, cleanse us. Give us a heart and a mind to see our sins rightly. And to deal with them as you've instructed us to deal with them. Thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I'd like to do is give you a, a, a little snippet, preface, overview of the book that I found helpful, and I'm sharing it with you this morning, trusting that it will be profitable to you as well as we look into this book of Leviticus. I believe this opening will be a primer for us to uh, get, a, get some handles up front in the book of Leviticus so let's watch here. Hello this is a note from the editors. We're unable to include the audio from the referenced video clip as part of this recording due to copyright issues. However, the complete video clip is freely available to view or download and we encourage you at this time if you're able to go ahead and view the video for yourself. It's entitled The Book of Leviticus and it's produced by The Bible Project as part of a series of videos on the Torah. Just go online to thebibleproject.com and search for the Torah series video, The Book of Leviticus. Again, that's thebibleproject.com. Go to the Resource Center and look for the Torah series and find the video on the Book of Leviticus. You'll want to pause this message while you do that, and when you come back, Steve will pick up where he left off. Thanks. Hopefully, that's a helpful intro into the book of Leviticus. I found it very helpful. Uh, a very quick overview. By the way, uh, a great resource, parents, uh, it's BibleProject.com. Uh, all their materials on there are free, uh, and they're, they're wanting to, to give and make that available. Uh, from what I understand, two, two guys that are, that are really good artists, and they're drawing much of what you see and talking through the scriptures. So uh, they have several videos on there uh, where you can, as families, read through the scripture together and, and also uh, see it as you're reading through it. So, uh, again, that's BibleProject.com is where you can find that. Um, would recommend you not going there right now. Uh, but, but please go there. Uh, I think it'll be a valuable resource for you. So we have the book of Leviticus And I know it's been touched on and talked about, but out of the 66 road trips we make through the scripture, if I was to ask the question, the most difficult, the hardest read, I'm fairly certain this would be either the top or right near the top of the most difficult to read in the scripture. Amen. Anybody else raise their hand on that one? Leviticus is a tough one. It's a tough one. But when we have gone through and have an understanding of Genesis, when we've gone through and have an understanding of Exodus, and then we arrive at Leviticus, Leviticus makes a whole lot more sense. It continues the story from where Exodus left off. Leviticus, it's really the idea, the the, the book of the Levites. So we have Genesis, this uh, ruin of Israel... ...sin enters the picture. We have Exodus, the redemption of Israel... ...where we have this great Exodus... ...this great rescue from the land of Egypt. And we have Leviticus... ...which really, in many ways... ...speaks to the life of Israel. The life of Israel. Living as a nation before a holy God. The community of God's people... ...are given instructions here in this book... ...on how to draw near... And approach a holy God. How does sinful man approach a holy God? Really, that's one of the big questions. How does sinful man approach a holy God? I love the illustration of the sun. The power of the sun. And when something gets close enough to the sun, what happens to it? sun is a good thing, right? We like the warmth of the sun. But get too close to it or get too much of it. It can be dangerous. It's a great illustration and example of our holy God. He is a good God. But he's called us to approach him and draw near to him in a certain way. Leviticus teaches us what it looks like. Not only to draw near to God, but to remain or to use New Testament terminology, to abide in his presence. The the idea here is not what does it take to approach him. The idea here really is more what does it take to abide? We we don't just want to approach him on a given day. We want to abide in his presence. Amen? Don't we? I do. I hope we all do. We want to remain in his presence. So how does sinful man keep from getting burned as he approaches the holy God? Well, the book begins, if you look at chapter 1, it begins where Exodus leaves off. Exodus 40, 35 says, Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of me. He was not able. And we see there that the cloud covered the tabernacle. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter. That's how Exodus ends. And we see chapter 1, verse 1. Now the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tabernacle of meeting. He's getting these words from God whose presence is in the tabernacle. Moses hasn't been able to enter yet. He's hearing from God from the tabernacle. So much of what follows in the 27 chapters of Leviticus are words that are direct from God. You know, out of all the books in the Bible, this was interesting as I was looking at this and studying a bit this week. This is one book where we have a significant amount of words direct from God himself. God is speaking to Moses... And he's having Moses share some things with Aaron and his sons. He's having Moses share some things with the children of Israel. But what we see in large part in Leviticus are direct divine words. God is speaking. So what we have here, I know we had a little bit of a structure put up on the board through the video, but to walk through... This particular book. The first seven chapters. We see. A significant number of sacrifices. All right. Uh, different sacrifices that the people were called to be making. An offering. To this holy God. We see in chapters 8 through 10. Uh, qualifications if you will of, of the priests. And their duties. In 11 through 15 we see. Uh, many of these. Purity laws and, and the food and, and what to eat, what not to eat. Animals that are clean and unclean. Rituals regarding childbirth and, and leprosy. Chapters 13 and 14 speak in long detail about leprosy. How do you deal with that? How do you handle that? Then you get to chapter 16 and 17. Which really, in many regards, chapter 16, as I read Leviticus 16 as a highlight, it's one of the seven feasts that's talked about in Leviticus 23, but it's a very significant feast. It's, it's, it's in many ways a highlight, the Day of Atonement, and it was spoken of in the video. And it's coupled with chapter 17, which also is very important for us to have as a handle in understanding. Chapter Sixteen, so we see that we move on from sixteen and seventeen, and we look at, at chapter eighteen eighteen, nineteen, and twenty gives us this uh, look at purity once again, and really it 's more of a a moral purity, a sexual purity and twenty and twenty one for for the priests, the priests who were the ones. Near God, they were the representative near God, representing the people before God, and talking about their standards. And in many ways, we see the significance and the importance of these priests before God and why they had to be uh, sort of like the New Testament teaching that James says about teachers. You remember what James has to say about teachers? In chapter 3, he says, They are under stricter judgment. Those who te- there's, there's a higher bar. Those of you in leadership and are leading something, you know what that's about. There are higher expectations to whom much is given, much is expected. There's a stewardship involved in this. And so much the case here with these priests. Chapter 23, 24, 25, and even 27, we see uh, these different feasts and, and various laws, uh, social laws, how how the nation is going to operate. Remember, this is the beginning of the nation. They're coming out of Egypt. And God is establishing them as a nation and he's giving to them all of these laws, these rules to live by. This was going to serve as the life for his people. This was the way, in fact, God had set it up for his people to approach him, to draw near to him, to live in him. And there's a wonderful chapter in chapter 26, which really in many ways is comparable to something we'll see in Deuteronomy in a few weeks on blessings and curses. And the bottom line of chapter 26 is this. If you obey me, there's going to be some really good things I'm going to pour out in favor for you. If you disobey me, warning. And he lists a whole bunch of things. If you choose to disobey what he set in place. Obedience, disobedience. Listen, if, if God in his word sets out some parameters for obedience and disobedience. Do you think he's given to man the opportunity to choose one way or the other? He's not pre-programmed us. We see that from all the way in the beginning, right? Adam and Eve, they had that choice. There was this tree right from the beginning. We see that in place. So that's a little bit of the structure. And again, we go back to the question, how does sinful man approach a holy God? How does sinful man draw near to God? James chapter 4 calls us to draw near to God, right? Draw near to God, and what's the promise? He will draw near to you. You know, I believe that we've become great at wanting God to draw near to us. But we've not done so well at drawing near ourselves to God. What is it to draw near to God? As we take a a brief road trip through this book of Leviticus, I'd like to keep that question before us. How is it possible to draw near to such a holy God? What's called for in this particular book to help us draw near? I think it begins on the premise That we serve a holy God. We've got to begin there. We we serve a holy God. You know, on here, hopefully you, you picked up that idea of his holiness. His pure and powerful presence. The God that we serve is holy by nature. He's pure. He's set apart. There is no one like our God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. His character is without blemish. He's set apart in a class all his own. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? There is no one like our God. Now consider that his holiness does not make room for sin. Because he's holy... Sin has no place in God's presence. Sin must be punished. We saw on here what that punishment for the people of Israel, what it looked like, this process. But the idea of seeing sin forever gone from his presence, we see, when we get to the book of Revelation, we see a new heavens and we see a new earth we see no more sin, we see no more pain, no more crying, no more sickness. You see, those who make a pattern here of sinning, profaning the name of God, disobeying the commandments of this holy God, they will be, the Bible says, left out of this kingdom of gods. So understanding up front that the God of the Bible is a holy God is significant to how we approach Him. We must get that right up front. He's not someone you just treat lightly. It's holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Worthy is your name. Do you treat him as a holy God? How then do you approach this God that we serve? How do you even begin to draw near to such a pure, holy, just and true God? Remember, Moses is receiving these words on the outside of the tabernacle and God is speaking to him from the tabernacle. Moses at this point cannot enter. And I appreciate the point that's brought up in this video Exodus leaves us with Moses on the outside of the tabernacle. He cannot enter. So Leviticus then picks this up. Leviticus then is the book that's going to show the child of God how to enter into the presence of this holy God. Here's how we can enter into his presence. You might recall in Exodus 32, the golden calf incident, where the people of God... Willfully transgressed God's commandment of not making any other gods, of not crafting for themselves any images set up in the likeness of God. You remember back in Exodus chapter 20, after the commandments are given and the people say yes to God and they say, yes, we're going to obey all of your commandments, God. And just a relatively short period of time later, we see Moses coming down from the mountain with those two stone tablets and the people celebrating with a golden calf in their midst worshiping this golden calf the people who said yes to god are now people who are walking their own ways and it makes good sense why moses at this point at the beginning of leviticus he can't get in there's some listen there's some things for the people of god to learn and the learning goes through their god appointed leader moses What's the first thing we observe as we journey through this book of Leviticus? Let me give you four things and we're going to be done this morning. So hang in there. There's going to be four things we're going to touch on as we journey through this book of Leviticus. Here's the first thing I want to have us get. It's the first thing really in the the text when you come to Leviticus. It's sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice as the normative pattern. Sacrifice as the normative pattern. It's first on the list. It, when any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock. And on and on it goes. It starts out with a burnt offering, grain offerings, peace offerings, fellowship offerings, sin and guilt offerings. Line the pages of those first seven chapters. Listen, I'd like you to understand something as we talk about sacrifice as the normative pattern here. Sacrifice as what's being established for the people of God. There was a cost involved in the sacrifices. On many occasions the people are called to bring an unblemished animal not one that's injured not a blind one unblemished some of these sacrifices are deemed voluntary some of these sacrifices are required an animal had to die it was part of this sacrifice This particular sacrifice was handled through an intermediary. That intermediary was the priest. The animal would be brought to the priest, and the priest would be the one to sacrifice the animal on behalf of the person or the people of God. As we saw in here, I love the the simplicity in which they broke this down. Really, we can look at all these sacrifices, and in many ways, these sacrifices declare a couple things. One, thank you. God. Something else these sacrifices say, I'm sorry, God. Thank you, and I'm sorry. A a confession of our sin. God, I'm sorry. Really, in many ways, as we talk about sacrifice, we're talking about worship, We're talking about giving God the glory due His name. Psalm 51, 17, in that psalm of repentance that David wrote. The sacrifices of God, listen to what the sacrifices of God are defined as by David in here. A a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. This idea of sacrifice takes center stage as Paul turns a corner in the book of Romans, chapter 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Is that a paradox? A living sacrifice. Holy, that's the first descriptor of this living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You read Leviticus and you can get dizzy looking at all the specific details surrounding their sacrifices in these first seven chapters. God is speaking to Moses to pass along to the children of Israel, just like when God instructs Moses about the construction of the tabernacle. I was thinking about this. You remember when God gave Moses the instructions for the tabernacle and Moses is going through and he does it. The scripture says, according to the pattern, according to the pattern, according to the pattern, pattern, he made this. Well, in many ways, we look at this. This is exactly, there's a pattern here in in the sacrifices. There's there's a a rhythm, if you will, inherent in the daily life of God's people. This is the way God designed it to be for his people. Sacrifice was intended to become a regular part of their life. See, when you transition from the sacrificial offerings of bulls and goats and lambs and doves... You see the New Testament teaching to present our bodies. To present, not an animal. We're presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And the word that's used, the first descriptive word that's used to characterize this living sacrifice is holy It's the same thing that Leviticus chapter 19 talks about. Be holy, for I am holy. Paul then discloses that this sacrificial act is acceptable to God. It's to be our natural rhythm right now. Present your bodies to God. Give of yourselves to Him at all times, making yourself readily available to Him, realizing that you are... Here not to please yourself and scoop up all the fun that you can just muster in these days. But you're here for him. You're here to bring him pleasure. You're here to bring glory to his name. You're here to enjoy him. How many of us enjoy God? I think it's tragic that we enjoy a lot of other things more than we do God himself. you keep on going in the book of Leviticus and you see that God takes seriously those entrusted with representing him. Here's the second one. We talked about sacrifices. Here's number two. A priesthood of believers is God's plan for you too. A priesthood of believers. And we see this in chapters 8 through 10 and also in 21 to 22 as it's describing qualifications for the priest being set apart. It talks about the beginning stages of the priesthood. What it looked like. The morality that was expected of the priests. If you turn backward to Exodus 19, the people of God are at the base of Sinai. And Moses is getting a word from God at the mountain. Listen to these words in Exodus 19, 4, 5, and 6. God says to Moses, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself brought you to myself this is what god does by the way in salvation he brings us to himself by grace keep reading now therefore if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people for all the earth is mine who's the earth belong to god verse 6 here it is and you shall be, this is what you this is God's plan for his people. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a, what kind of nation? A holy nation. Now there's something to be said here, no doubt, about God's leaders. God expects his priests to be holy Leadership by example, no doubt is implied, but I do believe Leviticus is teaching us about the priesthood, what it was, how it was operating, how God established it, and the purpose for putting it in place. We learn about the priests from the tribe of what? Levi, right? The, the, the tribe of Levi, one of Jacob's sons. This is the priestly tribe. Aaron and his sons have the initial responsibility to serve as priests, but We need to understand something. This priestly idea is not reserved for the pastor. It's not reserved to have someone operate as solo priest today overseeing a flock. The priestly idea from God's word is that his people would serve him as priests. That his people would represent him to the nations around them. Pastors and teachers, if we keep reading in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us very clearly that pastors and teachers have been given to the church by God to equip the saints for the works, for ministry in the body. They don't do all the ministry, but they do what they can to help equip others to serve and minister effectively. Peter says it this way in his first epistle. Chapter two, verse nine, love this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. There's the there's the descriptor, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people. Why? That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. We are who we are, not because of what we've done. And Deuteronomy will tell us that in just a couple a couple books. He's gonna tell us that very thing about the establishment of his people. It's not because of who you are. Let's remember, it's not because of what we've done. It's not because we were just brought up in a, in a godly family. That No. He's chosen us, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his light. You see, the, the people that he set apart and called He's got a certain job for us to be doing, doesn't He? To be declaring His praises. For what? It goes back to the sacrifice idea of thanking Him. Do you thank Him each day for the salvation that He's given to you? We're to be declaring His praises. Declaring His praises because He's called us out of darkness into His light. That ought to be a daily sacrificial offering we give to God thank you God (laughs) thank you for rescuing me listen the, the priests were to be holy they were approaching God on behalf of the people and as such they were God's representatives before the people to teach and instruct they were called to be holy because the God they were set apart to serve he's a holy God Leviticus 19 two, God says to Moses, he says, speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them. Listen, this is this is where it's directed to all of the children of the congregation of Israel. You shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Is that an instruction for Moses only? No. Is it an instruction for Aaron only as the priest? No. The instruction given is for the entire congregation. Be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus spends a great deal of time on the priesthood, and for good reason. If we're not careful, we might miss this. The the priesthood, as a means of being set apart to God, to, to live for him, to serve him, pursue holiness in your life, that's not something relegated to the priest or pastor today, but it includes you all in Christ Jesus. It's this priesthood of believers idea. God desires, listen, he desires that you represent him. Here's the New Testament word, ambassador. You are an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around you. Have you seen yourself in this priesthood of believers? Have you embraced the call to be holy simply because God commanded it? Look with me for just a moment before we move on to number three. If you have your Bible, turn, turn to first, back to First Peter. Uh, there's some really good things here in First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully on the grace that's to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, listen, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Because it's written. It is written. It is written. What's that do? It takes us backwards. It takes us backward where? It takes us backward to the Old Testament. It takes us back. Peter is pointing us backward to Leviticus chapter 19. For it's written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Remember, we serve a holy God. We ought to be living in reverence of this holy God, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. But here it is, 19. But with the precious blood of Christ. This is what you were redeemed with. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish, ...and without spot. Just rich with Levitical priestly imagery... ...right there in 1 Peter chapter 1. So we have sacrifice. We have this idea that you're included... ...in the priesthood of believers, right? What else do we learn about approaching this holy God? How do we draw near? Here's the third thing. Obedience is required. Obedience is required. We see this very clearly... I'd like you to turn, if you will, to, to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10 is sort of a somber note in the book. And we see here in, in Leviticus chapter 10. Hold that for just a moment. I want to preface it by pointing out what happened in Genesis. And that's when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. would like to ask whether you remember That next scene, the next scene in that Genesis account. Remember, they're walking along and they hear, it says that they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Remember that? Adam and his wife, they hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Why were they hiding, church? They disobeyed, right? They disobeyed what God had specifically told them not to do, don't do this. And you know, disobedience has a way of drawing us away from God, doesn't it? We we have this tendency when we're disobeying of wanting to hide ourselves from God. See, drawing near to a holy God will be nothing more than word speak if you're living a life of disobedience to his word. You aren't going to want to approach God when your life is patterned by sin. Here's the twist. Many want to approach God and draw near, but are not willing to give up their sin. Many want to draw near and approach God, but they're not willing to let go of their sin that so easily is entangling them. Leviticus 10, Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron. Chapter 9, listen... Chapter 9, the priesthood is just getting off the launch pad. It's just starting. This is the beginning. Here's what happens. Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, offered profane, strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord. By by the way, we stop right there for just a moment. Go back to the end of chapter 9. We see that Moses and Aaron in 23 went to the tabernacle, came out, blessed the people. Glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed what? The burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When the people saw it, they stood, they shouted, fell on their faces. This was a time of worship. Fire fell from the Lord on the, on the sacrifice. Here a few verses later, Nadab and Abihu are offering a profane fire. Verse 2, fire went out from the Lord and devoured not the sacrifice devoured these two guys, Nadab and Abihu. They died before the Lord. Some of you might be thinking, "Well, that's pretty harsh." Well, verse three says Moses then speaks to Aaron. Remember, let, let's 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 get a, let's let's add a human element here, can we? These two young men that died were Aaron's sons. Dads, you have sons here? Your two sons are gone. Moses is speaking to Aaron. These may be some of the most powerful words in the whole of the book. This is what the Lord spoke. So Moses is telling Aaron what God has given to him. Listen to these words. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. I believe those words were effective because the very next verse says, so Aaron held his peace. I can't imagine how much this would have grieved Aaron. Two of his sons gone. Why were they gone? They were gone because they disobeyed the Lord. I must be regarded as holy. I must be glorified. You see, obedience is required, not an option here. Obedience to my word, God says, is the way it should be. This is the way you should go. Approaching the God of heaven is predicated on obedience, doing what he says. We talk about what it is to approach him, what it is to draw near to him. Some of us like the idea, but we have no desire, intent to obey what he has to say right here. Guess what? We can't have it both ways. He's a holy God. And it's not like he hasn't given to us exactly what's... Needful. What do we need to do? What do we need to go? He's given a blueprint for the life of the nation. He's drawn up. This is what you need to do. This is where you need to go. Hey, I've got a, a pillar of cloud and a fire by night and I'm leading the way. When I move, you move. Hey, priests, here's what I've got set up for you. Here's what you're to wear. Here's what you're to put on. Here's what you're to do in terms of sacrifice. Do it this way. The good news is that where sin happens, confessing that sin to this holy and just God, he's faithful to forgive us and he's quick to cleanse us from our sin that we might walk with him. Do you treat him, do you treat his word with casualness? It's by God's grace that he allows us even to come into his presence. Amen? His grace not only saves us, but makes possible our daily abiding in Him. It's a gift. So sacrifice is the normative pattern. Priesthood for all the believers. Obedience is necessity. Not an option to approach God, remain in Him. Here's the last one. And that is uh, feast on God's kindness. Sort of a play on words here. Uh, Feast on God's kindness. And uh, turn your attention to Leviticus 23. And when you turn to Leviticus 23, you see a list of seven feasts. Begins, actually it's prefaced by the Sabbath, which is really a reference back to Exodus 20, commandment number 4. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy, right? Right? So we have the Passover, and the emphasis here being upon this Passover lamb. You remember the story back in Exodus, the 10th plague? It was referenced this morning during the Lord's Supper time, the Passover, the killing of the firstborn. Really, in many ways, the Passover is an emphasis for the people of God um, upon the sacrifice that was being offered. And the sacrifice that was being offered was going to be Christ. He was the one that was going to come and offer a sacrifice. But in some ways, too, the Passover was a recognition of what we see in the New Testament um, of being saved from wrath, saved from the wrath to come. Think about that element of the blood over the, uh, the lentil and the two doorposts. And then when the, the avenger of death comes through during the night and sees the blood, he's going to pass over your house... And spare you from death. See, in some ways, the Passover is, is really a recognition of being saved from the wrath of God. What saves you from that wrath? It's the blood. Well, the next day really was a, a continuation. It was the feast of the unleavened bread. Leaven in the scripture oftentimes is a reference to sin. And so unleavened, it was with, without. Uh, yeast, uh, leaven. This was uh, a feast that was celebrated. Uh, The people were quick to leave Egypt, right? And so they didn't have a whole lot of time. It was kind of a to-go meal, if you will. Uh, They had to get out of town and they plundered the Egyptians, okay? But we think about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I want you to think about this concept of without sin because really Christ serves as the Passover lamb. Christ is without sin sin. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5:21 that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7, Paul is speaking there and he actually references Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. So what do we think of when we think of the unleavened bread? I want you to think of these these feasts as direct connections to Christ something that Christ has already done and performed, something yet to come. The unleavened bread is a remembrance of the death of Christ, our sinless, spotless Passover lamb, the one who was without sin, the one who died for us. Then there's the first fruits that comes next in the text. And this was to take place the day after the Sabbath, Which is interesting because the day after the Sabbath, in the day of Jesus, was Sunday. The day after the Sabbath is resurrection day. When we think of first fruits, we ought to be thinking about resurrection of Christ. The first fruits, the resurrection of Christ. And we can read about the first fruits of Christ in Corinthians 15. That great resurrection chapter. Okay? The first fruits. It's interesting that 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 particular sacrifice uh, and that festival, that feast they were to bring sheaves of grain and they would bring them to the priest and the priest would wave these sheaves before God and it was a symbol, a symbolic gesture of this was acceptable before God. And in the same way, we think about Christ and we think about what his resurrection is and what it represents and how his resurrection was really the seal. It was the, God was, God was saying, I, I am accepting what my son has accomplished at the resurrection We see sacrifice feast number four is the feast of the weeks or what we know as Pentecost. 50 days from the first fruits feast and Pentecost in the scripture is grounded and rooted in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 I hope there's lots of radars that go off and we say Acts chapter 2 because there's a lot that happens in Acts chapter 2. When you think of Acts chapter 2 I want you to think about the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And Christ and God the Father are tag-teaming the arrival and the sending of the Holy Spirit on the scene in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost. Remember when all the people gathered in in Acts chapter 2. Spirit lands tongues of fire on the people. And they're talking in strange tongues and languages. And Peter stands and gives his message. That's Acts 2. That's day of Pentecost. One other important note on the Pentecost as we think about it, its connection to Christ, is the connection to the church. It's the birth of the church. So those first four feasts really are feasts on the calendar that happened in the springtime. And then there's, a, there's about a four-month gap there between that last feast, Pentecost, and the next one that comes in the fall, and that's the, the, the Feast of the Trumpets. The Feast of the Trumpets. It's the first one. It signals, uh, essentially for the people of God in Israel, uh, a trumpet call would signal one of two things, usually. The first one would be a trumpet call that would assemble the people, would would call them together. There would be another trumpet call that you would hear in Israel, and that would be a trumpet call to war. And so we have this feast of trumpets. Now, what's interesting is that these last three feasts that are described in, in Leviticus 23 are all pointing to something yet to come as it relates to connecting to Christ. Okay? So the trumpets, hopefully, hopefully, when you think of a trumpet, hopefully you know your Bible well enough to understand that trumpet is associated with the second coming of our Lord. We're going to be coming with the clouds and the trumpet sound. Thessalonians 4 talks about that. The trumpet, Matthew, Jesus in Matthew's gospel talks about. He's going to come and there's going to be a trumpet heard The sixth feast talked about here is the day of atonement. That's the one that we read the text from this morning in Leviticus 16. This was a sober-minded day. This this particular feast stood out. That's why I said earlier Leviticus 16 is really, really important for us to grasp. This day of atonement, sober-minded day where the children of God afflicted their soul. There's three things that went on on this day. They afflicted their soul. They afflicted their soul. This particular day was a remembering of my sin before a holy God and it was also an understanding that my sin is being atoned for it was being completely covered it was being completely taken care of because you see on this one day a year it says in Leviticus 16:30 this was to cleanse you that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord this day of atonement was also a day of rest It was a day of rest. And all of these things, afflicting the soul, atoning for sin, day of rest, all of these things are pointing forward to the final glorification of God's work of redemption, that day in the future with the Lord. We think about Hebrews 4, talks about that rest for the believer yet to come, pointing forward to being with God. This day of atonement would have pointed us forward And then the last one is mentioned there in 23 is the the Feast of Tabernacles or Feast of Booths where the people of God were dwelling in these tents. And in many ways, this one points forward to the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, Zechariah the prophet speaks a little bit to this, pointing to a day when Israel will once again dwell in booths. But really, in many ways, this is a reminder feast of the people on their journey out of Egypt It's a reminder to the people of those 40 extra years of wandering. (laughs) You remember those years? We're going to talk about those years next week in numbers. They stayed in booths. They stayed in tents. It was a reminder of the journey. Sometimes, isn't it interesting, sometimes we need also in our own lives a, a, a day, a time set aside where we remember the journey. Remember our own journey. Lord's taking us on a journey. And I would venture to say that For all of us here, if we were to stop for just a moment and think about the journey, where God has brought us from. The the person we used to be, two, three, four, five, ten years ago, to where he's brought us now. Feast of Tabernacle, booths. Feast on God's kindness. These these feasts were all intended to remind the people of God of the work of God in the lives of his people, his great love for his people. Remind them, as the psalmist says, of the marvelous works, the great works of God. What has God done? The history of God in the lives of his people. All these laws and rituals and purity and clean and unclean. This was a way of living for God's people. This detailed instruction for how to live life close to God. And then there's that chapter 26, which really in many ways just sets forth the consequences for not adhering to his commandments. He talks about in in, in 26 verse 45 that he will remember his covenant. That covenant language continues to roll through the books. I will remember my covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. How do you approach this holy God? Be holy for I am holy. Sacrifice, priesthood of believers, obedience, and feasting on God's loving kindness in all that he's done for you. There's so much more we could say, but I think that's where we'll leave it for this morning. This road trip is, I'm hoping, through the book of Leviticus, helpful on one hand, hopeful for you as you continue in your own reading and and will be a a, a helpful preface to where we're going to be next week. And I'm going to leave you with this and we'll close. Look at the beginning verse of Numbers chapter 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the tabernacle. Of meeting. In. You remember at the beginning of Leviticus, Moses can't enter. As we open the page of the book of Numbers, God is speaking to Moses in. You see, the way has been made possible now for their entering. And we've talked about what it is to approach a holy God. That was the book of Leviticus. How do we draw near to this holy God? Friends, that invitation is still open for you all today. It is possible to draw near by His grace, the power of His Holy Spirit, to draw near to this holy God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness and thank you for this study in Leviticus. Lord, it's been so helpful and instructive for me personally and I pray for this church as well. I pray, Lord, we have a better handle on this book as a whole and, Lord, it would encourage us to see the connect points with Christ, the gospel thread, as we've been talking about in these studies. Oh, it's rich in gospel themes. We thank you for Christ, our Passover who in himself took our sins, bore them at the cross, three days later was raised. Father, it wasn't long after that when your Holy Spirit was sent. And now we are in the middle of what we know as that church age and we are awaiting the return of your son once again. Lord, we look forward to that trumpet blowing. We look forward to be in your presence, to see you as you are, to be with Jesus. Lord, in the meantime, may this people be found holy and faithful and true to you and to your word. May it be our desire to walk in obedience. May we present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy pleasing, acceptable to you. May we understand that this idea of the priesthood of believers is not just for leaders in the church, but it's intended for every single one of us who name the name of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to feast on your loving kindness toward us as you've shown us yourself through your son. You've shown us yourself through your word. You've shown us yourself through your Holy Spirit. You've given the truth of your word to us. Lord, you have shown yourself in the course of history. I pray we'd be a people that feast on your goodness and remember you and what you've done always. Thank you, Father, for being our Father in heaven, for being our rock upon which we can stand, our strong tower. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.